All right. Hey, everybody. It's really great to be with you. It's also good to be uh, with you in the spirit, those of you who are watching online. Uh, I want us to open, us, uh, open up in prayer real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time that we have with one another. We thank you for the love that you have for us um, because you sent your son Jesus um, to, to reconcile us to yourself. We thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit um, speaks loud and clear in this place and in our lives. And Lord, thank you that um, your worship gives strength to weary legs and, and tired hearts, God. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill me as I preach your word. I pray that you would bring to life the, the truth of the scriptures in our hearts. And Lord, I pray as I prayed last service, Lord, that you would make um, what's difficult, making what's, what's in the future present in this place um, happen, Lord. I pray that as I preach your word, you would bless the people here with the imagination of faith. That we would be able to picture what is to come and grab onto it as reality. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would fill our hearts as well and that, Jesus, you would come back soon because we eagerly are waiting for you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, as, as many of you have been thinking and feeling and has been reiterated throughout this entire year, 2020 has been a really crazy time. There has been bad news after bad news after bad news over and over and over again. But there was some really good news during this time. Um, one of my favorite news stories that came out early during the pandemic was one that came out of Italy, particularly in the, the, the city of Venice. Venice is known for its beautiful canals. So, in the, so instead of streets, historically, they had these water canals that people would boat down and, and tourists can ride in these gondolas now throughout the, throughout the city of Venice. And it's wonderful. But the water itself is really dirty because of all the, the human traffic and the, and the pollution. But during, during coronavirus, when Italy had to lock down, all of a sudden the, the, uh, the water started to clean out. And you could see down to the bottom in fact, people, people had these rumors that you could even see dolphins throughout the canals and that swans and fish had returned. Now, on closer inspection, I mean, we, we all know that you can't trust videos that you see on YouTube and TikTok all too much. Um, but uh, nature experts said that the, the dolphins were actually seen in an entirely different city and that the swans and the fish were already there, but... Uh, that, that we just couldn't see it because, because of all the traffic and all the dirt in the water. But the reason why I like this story is because it compels us. We, we're drawn to stories like that because it gives us hope. It gives us hope that in, in our tired and dirty world that nature can thrive and beauty can come to life again. And that's not by accident. Right now we're in a study called Doctrines That Dance. In the book of Romans, we're, we're seeing ways that, that theology, which is the study of God, can inform and give hope to our lives. 
And what we're going to talk about is what God has to say about creation. And the reason why we have such a visceral reaction to stories like that is because our hope is intrinsically tied to the hope of creation. What we'll see is that Romans teaches that creation actually hopes for something and that we can learn how to hope from creation itself. So I want you to stand with me as we read Romans. We're going to be in Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, excuse me, through 25. That's Romans 8, near the middle of the book, verses 18 through 25. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the, cre- for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now before you sit down, let's read verse 18 one again one more time. Excuse me, 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Go ahead, sit down. That verse 18 there, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us is the main point of this entire passage. All the rest of this is explaining this verse. It is the beginning and goal of the passage. So we're going to start here real briefly, but I'm going to come back to it as, as we see the, the story of the passage unfold. So uh, to give you some context, in uh, a couple verses before, Paul was explaining the, the glory of what it means to be adopted as a son or daughter of God. What, what, what we see the scriptures teach is that those who put their faith in Jesus and trust him for the forgiveness of their sins and, for, and make him the Lord of their life, we actually become adopted as God's sons and daughters. And we are given the Holy Spirit as evidence that we have been adopted because the Holy Spirit cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father, It cries out that we are God's children. And Paul follows that logic in verse 17 when he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So when we suffer with Christ, we have the secure promise that we will be glorified with him. 
And that leads us back again to verse 18, where it says the sufferings that we face right now cannot compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Now, we want to press into this because in order for the scriptures to have their power working effect, we need to ask hard questions of the text. So when we look at this and we see that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, we need to ask ourselves, what glory can possibly be so great that our sufferings can't compare to it? That the war, the disease, the loss of children, the the broken families, and all of the, the depression and struggles that we go through cannot compare to it. What glory is that? Because we can't just have a promise, uh, have a promise that says, yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be great. No, we need to know what is ha- going to happen. What is that glory that's going to be so good? And we're going to see that unfold as we, as we go through the scriptures here. So when we look at verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So notice, we're not the only ones waiting. Creation waits. In verse 22, it says that the whole creation, so, so the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals on the ground, the wind, the, the breeze, the, the waves, the mountains, they are all waiting for the, the revelation of the sons of God. And when it says that, that they are eagerly longing for them to be revealed, the, the Greek word implies creation is straining its neck to see what's coming ahead. It's like when, when parents, you're peering over the shoulder of your kids to see what they're looking at on their phones. And I know you guys do it because I see you guys do it. So, so that's what creation is doing is they're peeking over to see what's coming. And they're eagerly waiting for it. Now, now, um, when we talk about the sons of God, we've already, we've already talked about who the sons of God are. They are those who have been adopted as God's children. And so creation is, is, is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Because although we may be adopted as God's children, we haven't received the fullness of our adoption The Spirit of God may be crying out that we have been adopted, but what it fully means to be a daughter and son of God has yet to be revealed. Now, why creation is so excited about this, we got to find out. So, I want to read verses 20 through 23. Uh, It's through 22, I mean. For the creation was subjected to futility, Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So it says here that creation, in verse 20, was subjected to futility which means that all of the the work and the good that creation does is useless. And it sees all of the things that it does not meeting its goal. Creation was meant to bring glory to God and to reveal reveal him to us. 
and we ignore creation. It is screaming God's glory, and we're blind to it. And it says that, that, we are in, that, that creation is in bondage to corruption. It's in slavery to corruption. It, it's in a constant cycle of death and destruction. And this is part of, we, we, we overlook this because we don't see, uh, we don't see this as, as being a bad thing oftentimes. But I, I want to talk to you about what I mean. Think about every warm season, typhoons and hurricanes rip apart the, the coastlands. And earthquakes and natural disasters and volcanoes destroy, destroy natural beauties that have stood for a long time. Just here in January, the, the Puerto Ventana in Puerto Rico, which is a beautiful arc, uh, natural arc um, off of the coast of Puerto Rico, was destroyed by an earthquake. And, and things like that happen all of the time. Animals are fierce and they kill each other. And, and everything in creation has a natural flow of death. Now, animistic religions view this as a good thing, as the circle of life. And that's because there is something good about it. But that's only because God has inputted redemption into creation so that we can see something good in it. That death and destruction is not good, and we feel it in our hearts. And on top of that, those are just the natural things. Think about the ways that we as humans increase the corruption in creation. I mean, because of human greed and overconsumption and gluttony, Mount Everest has been turned into a, a mountain of tourist trash and human feces. It's really gross when you see photos of it. And the Amazon rainforest, because of human deforestation, has reduced the Amazon rainforest by 20%. Animal species, 24 animal species die every single day and are extinct because of things that we do. And that's just conservative numbers. I want to give you an example that's kind of close to home. Um, did you know that bison used to be native to Illinois? They used to roam all over here in most of the United States. In fact, in the 1500s, uh, 30 to 60 million bison roamed, roamed North America. But after European settlers moved out west over the years, it ended up that in 1910 there was only 850 bison left alive in the world. We wiped them out, not because of need, but because of our own bloodlust. In fact, they, it, what would happen is they would, they would, um, the, the hunters would stick their heads out of trains with guns and just shoot them as they drove by and just leave the, the carcasses on the ground. In fact, there's pictures of literal hills of bison bones that were killed for sport. And that's not an isolated incident. We do this to creation all the time. Creation is groaning because it is caught in corruption that we cause. 
And even when it's not us literally doing something to creation, the Bible actually teaches that our spiritual sin has an effect on the land. In Leviticus 26, God warns the Israelites that their sin will get so bad that he will have to kick them out of Israel so that the land can have a Sabbath, so that the land can have a break from the people of God. Now, after all that we have done, when will America need a break? God has a way of bringing redemption to his creation. And and the question is, where did all of this come from? Because this isn't the way that God meant it to be. God created his world as good. And humans lived in perfect harmony with creation and with God. And God gave Adam and Eve, the first humans, um, creation to explore, to cultivate, and to watch over, and to enjoy. But we took all the good that God gave us, and we chose to disobey him. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and we followed suit with our own rebellion. Now, earlier in Romans, in Romans 6, um, God says that the wages or the, or the deserved payment for sin is death. So because of our sin, we brought physical and spiritual death into our lives. But not just us. Because as John Chrysostom said, where, where man leads, creation will follow because it was made for man. So, by no fault of its own, creation followed humanity into corruption. And creation is innocent in all of this. I want to read you a a quote that that I found really insightful from, uh, from a philosopher. He says, Ours is a law governed, our, 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 excuse me, ours is a law governed universe. And everything in it follows the course that has been ordained for it. The whole of creation obeys the law of God. The sun and the moon, the earth, and all other heavenly bodies submit to God. So does the air, water, heat, stones, trees, and animals. Everything in the universe obeys God by submission to his laws. In fact, even the atheist, as he confesses his disbelief in God... The molecules and biology of his body are submitting to the very laws of God that he denies. The only thing that rebels against against the commands of God is the human heart. And so creation, the creation's difficulty is that its hope is tied to our hope. So if it's going to be freed from corruption, something needs to happen with us. So here's the problem. God created us in perfect harmony with creation and with himself. We led creation out of that harmony and into corruption, and God has to provide the solution. So he provides it in Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, is the Son of God. God sent Jesus to live a perfect life on our behalf. He submitted to the law of God, and he lived in harmony with creation And not only was he innocent, he took the payment that we deserved, the wages of our sin, and he died on the cross on our behalf. And then not only that, he rose from the dead 
So he broke us out of the cycle of death that we had built. And he left a gaping hole in that cycle so that those who put their faith in Jesus will be led out of that corruption and creation will go along with it. He provided for not only the redemption of our souls, but the redemption of the earth. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we are offered forgiveness for the corruption that we caused and we receive Sonship. We become sons and daughters of God. Rulers of a divine, uh, a divine appointment on earth. And our spirit cries out that this is the case. But that is not the fullness of our adoption, as I was saying. What we see here in Romans, if, you, if you'll look with me here in verse 20, 23... It says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. Now, what is the adoption of sons? It says, says it right after. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. You see, God not only saves our souls, he saves our bodies. One day your, de- your body will lay in the grave. And if you put your faith in Jesus, your, your soul will go to heaven. But your body will lie in the grave. But what the scriptures teach here is that our bodies will be bought back from the grave. And that is what creation and we are waiting for. He will give us new, resurrected, fixed bodies. Now here's the question, though. If you were made... For eternity in heaven, why do you need a body? And why would creation be so excited for us to spend eternity in heaven if it would just be destroyed afterwards? That can't be the hope. What we actually see the scriptures teach is that our home is not in heaven, our home is on earth. If you were made for earth, if you were made for heaven, God would have put Adam and Eve there instead. But he put them here. Creation was made, or earth was made for us. And I want to show you how clear this is in the scriptures. You can turn with me if you like, or, or I can read it. It's here in Revelation 20, the last book of the Bible. Starting with verse 13. Revelation 20, 13 says this. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So when Jesus comes back, what the scriptures teach is he will judge creation here on earth. And the graves, the, the funeral homes, and the urns will give up their dead. The earth, which has only known the infection of our bodies in the grave will vomit our bodies out like a kid after eating too many Skittles. It is sick of our death and it is ready to spit us out. And so that is the hope of our bodies, that our bodies will be restored and that cycle of death will end. Now, the great thing is, is that hope is not just our hope. 
It is the hope of creation. If we read a little bit lower down here in, in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be, be, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our hope is not an eternity in heaven. Heaven is our temporary home. Our hope is that God will give us a new earth. But we won't miss heaven because heaven comes down to earth. The capital city of God will be here. And we aren't the only ones. Earth gets heaven too because it will be here. And the best part is, is that the tabernacle of God will be with man. He will be our God and we will be his people. And the glory of God will go over the earth like the waters cover the sea. And we want to press into this hope. What does this hope mean for us? It means that species that have long gone extinct will come to life. Dinosaurs will graze with the bison. Children will play with snakes. The cobra will be their friend. Wolves will take naps with lambs. And Ireland will be greener than it is now. The Puerto Ventana will be back again. And all of the earth will rejoice as the reefs come to life and beauty and color is bright again. You will drink from the Chicago River and you'll see the bottom. And people talk about visiting all 50 states. People, I'm going to explore the stars. Because I'll have limitless time, limitless possibility to enjoy the world that God created for us. The redemption of our souls will lead to the redemption of our bodies, which will lead to the redemption of the earth. That is our hope. And that's a good hope. And it can seem really far away right now with us caught in our homes because of COVID with tight budgets and winter setting in. But that's exactly what hope is. Look with me here in verses 24 through 25 of Romans 8. It says, For in this hope we were saved. No hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Family, hope is exactly seeing what we can't see with our eyes. Hope is seeing with the prophetic in imagination of faith what our eyes cannot comprehend. And so, 
We are learning how to hope like that. But creation has been doing it basically since its existence. So we want to learn how creation hopes. First off, as we noticed, if you hope, you hope with patience. Creation hopes with patience. We were talking about how creation obeys the laws of God and submits to them. No matter who the president is, no matter how we're treating creation, the sun comes up and goes down as faithfully as ever before. Just exactly the way God made it. The tides do exactly what they're supposed to do. Your dog may not obey you, but your dog obeys God. It does exactly what a dog is supposed to do the way he designed it. Because creation understands something that we don't. When you have a hope, you can be faithful in the suffering. So for us, we have, we have had to miss out on things, haven't we? Some of you have had to cancel your vacation plans. Some of you aren't able to, to see friends and family as much because of COVID. I'm not going to be visiting my family in Minnesota because of it, most likely. And on top of that, without COVID, as we look through our phones and we see uh, people on Facebook, TikTok, and, and Instagram all, saying, uh, all posting videos of vacations they took and, and paradises that they get to be in, I feel envy sometimes. Sometimes we wish that we could have a life like that. But what we see in creation and what we see in the scriptures is that we can be content with what we have now because we're going to have something way better in the future. You may be missing out on your vacation, but one day you will canoe up the Amazon and you will explore the Grand Canyon, but this time with God as your tour guide. There is not one crevice of creation that will not be ours to explore. That is the hope that we have, so we can be content now with that hope. Secondly, the second lesson that we learn from creation is that we groan because we hope, because creation groans because it hopes. Look with me here in verse 22 through 23. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the, of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation groans through all the corruption that it has to go through. But it's not groaning out of complaint or dissatisfaction. Excuse me. It is groaning because it knows that something better is coming. It describes it as pains of childbirth. Now, I don't have any experience with this myself, but I have spoken to a few ladies who tell me that childbirth can be somewhat painful. Um, and, and when you get pregnant, do you get pregnant to go through labor, ladies? Do you want to experience the pains of labor? No. no. You don't get pregnant for that. You get pregnant so that you can have a baby. 
although the pain gets worse and worse right up to the, to the time of delivery, it's worth it because at the end, you get to experience the miracle of life and you have a child. Likewise, when we groan and we plead with God for him to come back and we lament the pain and suffering we go through, we are not doing it because we don't have faith. We're doing it because we know that as the pain intensifies and gets worse and worse and worse, that it's going to be worth it in the end. I told you that we were going to go back to verse 18. So I want to go back to verse 18 real quick. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now as we look at that passage, what I want you to do is close your eyes with me. I want you to breathe and think about the pains that weigh you down right now. The disappointment that you've had. The friends that have let you down. The hopes and dreams that have died. The family and friends that you've lost. Possibly the disease or injury that riddles your body right this minute. And I want you to unlock that part of yourself that holds back from feeling the full weight of it. Go ahead, open up your eyes. It's heavy, isn't it? I feel it. Well, the minute that his holy Jewish feet set foot on earth ground, all of that is a vapor. The weight of that is gone. And we'll have a glory unlike anything that compared to it. God did not make you to be overwhelmed by suffering. He made you to be overwhelmed with glory. And there's not one ounce of your suffering that will be wasted because he rose from the dead. The cycle of corruption is broken. We have a hope that's real. Something we can grab onto. And you know what? That leads us to our third thing. You see, just as we said, creation is able to endure all of that because it has a vision of the future, the revelation of the sons of God. When you have a palate for what's to come, you are able to endure the dissatisfaction of what you have now. And the way that we do that is by developing our palate for the glory to come. Let me give you an illustration. Um, when I went, was out in college in Spokane, Washington, they don't have really great coffee here in Chicago, I'm not going to lie. In Chicago, or in Spokane, they have great coffee. And I really love coffee, so I drink a lot of it. However, I have friends that really love coffee. In fact, they would go to these coffee tastings where they would, you know, sip different, like, essences of coffee, basically, and they'd be like, well, I can, I can taste and smell the the, the cedar wood and the berries in the coffee. That, that's not me. The, they're coffee snobs, but only because they have developed their, their palate for the different types of coffee. I can't taste the difference. Uh, another illustration of that is my wife, when we were dating in Washington, 
Uh, she's, um, we, uh, we would go out to eat to different restaurants, and there wasn't a lot of options in Spokane. It's not as big of a city as Chicago. And the, the restaurants we would go to, I'd really enjoy them because I grew up in a small town, so I didn't really know much different. I thought, Denny's? Denny's is great, you know? <laughs> I have, they have the best pancakes in the world. It's in the name. Um, and we would eat there, and my wife wouldn't be too excited, and I'd be like, uh, Kate, what's going on? And she would say, well, you know, there's a better place in Chicago. And so I just thought she was being really picky, right? So when we moved over here, though, once we got married, I discovered she was right. The food is better here, except for the coffee, but the food is better here. And, and, uh, and the reason why she felt that way is because she had tasted of something better. Family, we've tasted of something better. Romans teaches us in 8.23 here that we are the first fruits of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God that cries out, Abba, Father, within us, also gives us a taste of a world where the Spirit of God will cover the face of the earth. And you can't get that taste out of your mouth. But we can develop that palate so we can taste it more and more. And that's what you've got to do. If you want your life to be filled with faith and hope, you need to develop a spiritual palate that recognizes, notices, and enjoys glory. And how you do that is you encourage your kids to, to explore and study creation. Because there is more beauty out there than on their phones. You need to get out of your routine here in Chicago, which can be very difficult, and go for walks. Go sit by a lake. Enjoy the outdoors. Sit in the woods and breathe it in. And you need to enjoy the things of life. Sit down with a nice red steak. Have a bonfire and talk, and talk with friends. Play with your kids. Dance, sing. Not so you can be satisfied with this life, but because when you do those things, those things are a better picture of what your reality will be in the future if you've put your faith in Jesus than anything in your existence right now. Your pain is not a picture of eternity. Your joy is. And so we need to do things. We need to create, make, bake, and decorate. Do beautiful and wonderful things because when you do it, it announces to the world that this is what the kingdom looks like when it comes. The kingdom is going to be beautiful and wonderful. So when we do wonderful things, just as creation glorifies God by just being the way that God made it, we are declaring and living like people who have hope. And if you have not lived with that hope, if you wouldn't say that you, you are a child of God, that you've put your faith in Jesus, and this is a new way for you to view your future reality, I want to urge you to put your faith in Jesus now. Trust him with your life and make him the Lord of your life. Repent of all the sins that have led to the corruption of earth, and embrace him as your Lord. And the spirit of, of adoption will indwell you and will cry out that you are his son, you are his daughter. 
and you will taste eternity. Family, it's great. We got to enjoy it together. So let's pray and let's embrace the hope that we have. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope that it gives us. Thank you for loving us so much. And Lord, we miss a lot of things. I miss communion with my church. I miss my family. Um, and, and we're missing you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would come back soon. But more importantly, Lord, as we wait, that you would fill us with hope. And that we would live with that hope. That we would declare that hope. And that we would be a people that, are, that have the new creation written on our hearts. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, and we know you'll make them come true. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Praise God for this time of worship today. And uh, I just want to leave you all with this blessing from 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.